Why have I quit my job? Why have I, you know, bought a van? And, and why am I going to drive around the country? Well, I'm passionate about the idea that you need to be heard. And I want to stitch these stories together across the states. We're going to find the commonalities. And it's going to be really an amazing experience. And I look forward to you joining me on the job. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Mental Health Today. Uh, my name is Ken Stearns. I'm the sponsor. I'm the host. I'm just about everything here. <laughs> so that, and that was a great little video. Uh, I just love listening to the words. Uh, we're talking about trying to find that commonality among uh, the JAR podcast that we do face-to-face -face around the country. And really, that common theme was mental health. Uh, that inspired me to start the JAR Foundation to really learn all I can about this space, uh, about it as a business, uh, about how we're kind of trying to help address a crisis, because I really did see a crisis across the country. And the idea is to get this podcast, uh, bring on people with experience uh, in the mental health space in, in all kinds of capacities, uh, as well as just hearing stories of people's journey through the space so we can learn where we can get better. And that's what I want to be able to do with the foundation is try to find one spot where we can just do our little part, make things, you know, hopefully a little bit better for, for some people, some of the time. We got Bethany today is going to, it's got some stuff to share. Bethany, I'm excited. Glad we got on finally. I don't, you know, I don't want to ever push it back. If we can do it now, let's get it done. Happy to be here, Ken. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, how about a little story about how, you know, what's he, what got you in this place? What's kind of got you inspired to spend some time here and talk about it? Absolutely. So I'm the founder and the CEO of Fem Innovation, which is a new platform that's really seeking to amplify women's voices in all things related to women's healthcare. Mm. And it's interesting, I didn't even get into women's healthcare really until I experienced my own women's health issue very unexpectedly at an annual physical exam. And as I navigated the fallout from having a, a very serious health diagnosis, I started to feel anxiety and depression and all of these other things for mental health that really are not talked about, especially within the women's health context. Mm. And as a result of that, I started to dig in and really see where do we stand on women's mental health today? What are some of the challenges and the barriers that we have to it? How many women are being affected by mental health issues? What's being done in the workplace to address this? Yeah. And then my personal favorite, which is what is the femtech, which is short for female health technology industry, what is that industry capable of doing to really help remedy the oh, situation? Interesting idea. Love, those are good questions. <laughs> Yes, they've, they've marked a, a huge part of my journey and really looking to see how we can help women going forward so that mental health, especially whenever it's combined with women's health, isn't something that's seen as a stigma or a taboo mm -hmm. or something to be shameful of. And I think we do still have that level of shame around these topics today in society. Yeah, it's true. Uh, that And that's one of the things the foundations we're looking at is, is the stigma. And, yes. you know, just uh, the face-to-face -face conversations we have with people who share their journey openly mm -hmm. and the good parts about it, you know, coming out of it just today, I just, I just finished an interview here at the Lincoln library in Springfield and the young lady I met, she had some stuff happen to her at a young age and uh, with divorce uh, mm -hmm. and her 
her parents went through divorce and her mom got her into counseling at like age 11. Wow. And, uh, you know, so that, but, and so her sharing that story openly, other women can hear it. Other people can hear it and go, Oh, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the think, so that's kind of, I'm, I'm all that reducing the stigma is really about having the openness and people sharing their journey. Can I, would agree with that. Can yeah, I would agree with that completely. And we don't really have that, especially when we think about it for women's mental health, right? You not only have the stigma and the taboos associated with mental health, but then you have the stigma and taboo associated with general women's health. And mm. a lot of times the, you know, the mental health conditions that women's have can be caused by, or in some way influenced by the hormonal fluctuations that they have for things oh, like your menstrual cycle, menopause, pregnancy, and that's stuff we don't talk about commonly. Yeah, it is the, it seems to, to be really, I'd say dismissive or uh, the language that I recall around it for, um, you know, the mommy blues. Yes. It, it seemed to be very kind of like, at least back in the day when my wife was pregnant and had, and had our daughters, it was not, it wasn't, there was nothing compulsory. There was no what I watch on it. Nope. Yeah, there was no checkups. Uh, but here was something you knew the hormones were going to be doing absolute gymnastics. Yeah. And could seriously impact the, the, the mother's health and the baby. And there's, there's no safety net there. No. And even when we think about it today, right, we're, we're in 2023. One in five women are going to experience that postpartum depression that you've been talking about. And wow. yet only about 50% of women will actually be treated for it. And when we think about kind of hmm. what women are asked at those postpartum checkups, one in eight women are not even going to be asked about their mental health or how they're doing in that quote unquote fourth trimester after the baby has been born. Oh, the fourth trimester. Yeah. Which is, yeah, which it is, is, really, yeah, it is really interesting. Yeah. My daughter's just given birth and it's her third. Um, and, you know, and it's on my mind. It's probably it's top of my mind is, you know, keeping an eye on that and making sure she's got the support, right? Knowing that, you know, it's not anything I can really do um, other than just some good words in the ear, you know, and, well, ask, and asking. And being know. there and, and just even caring for her as the mother, because after so many women have children, all of the focus is on the child, right? It's on giving the child the new clothes, right? Cuddling the child, taking the child out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. Very few resources are spent on how the mother is actually doing. And so not only, right, does she potentially have these hormonal fluctuations, right, that are, that are making her feel depressed, but then there's no attention being paid to her. And that's when that can get missed. And I, I think the CDC even found um, recently that, postpartum uh, depression is one of the leading causes of death for maternal health. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what are you guys doing? What's, what's your, are you focused on the legislative end or healthcare end? What's the kind of, where you, where you got your pointy stick aimed at? Yeah. So my background as an attorney really suits me to being able to help very innovative tech companies 
bring their products to life faster in this space and kind of see what's on the cutting edge of the mental health field when we think about digital health solutions. So I work a lot with those femtech apps. And when I say femtech, right, that could be anything from a period tracking app to maternal health care apps that are tracking the mother or the baby's welfare afterwards, um, fertility, ovulation. uh, We've even gotten um, some breast and uterine devices on the market. So we've got a lot of those devices and they're now starting to come out with devices that are focused not just on mental health care because there are, you know, kind of wide ranging mental health care, digital health apps, but also those apps that are focused really on mental health care for women. We're starting to see a huge boom uh, in the funding that's going to those types of maternal um, and women's health care mental health apps. And that's something that has been really exciting to see. Um, There's quite a few on the market, but for instance, um, some of the more recent ones, we have Stella, which is an app that specializes in providing comprehensive treatment for things like post-traumatic stress, anxiety, depression, traumatic brain injuries. Uh, We have Tia, which actually the Melinda Gates Pivotal Ventures um, recently announced their investment into Tia. And it's just a U.S.-based women's health startup that's looking to provide mental health offerings like inclusive coaching, therapy sessions, screening and treatment for anxiety. And so we've got a lot of these really neat apps that are coming onto the market. Um, One, Wave Life, is even focused on the unique mental health needs of women in Gen Z. Uh, because they have different mental health needs growing up with social media. So that's, oh, been, yeah. yeah, that's Very been really cool. interesting to see. Oh, you're in such a fun space. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's funny, right? Because as an attorney, you never really think that you're going to have any type of impact on healthcare. care. Um, you think, right, that's that's to the doctors, that's to the tech founders. But really, if you're passionate about something, it's it's taught me that you can make a difference no matter what the space is, as long as you're able to bring value um, and help drive those solutions to the market. Yeah, you're helping people get through get through the the red tape, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, I've interviewed now a couple founders of people in the tech space uh, with with solutions, with apps, uh, or um, online therapy, right? Mm. Remote remote yeah. therapy. So a couple of different companies. Um, it's been fa- it's fascinating, and and downloading the apps and using them. And seeing the different approaches, what they're trying to solve um, and playing around very it's been it's been kind of cool. So I have this is great to know you're you're so well connected between the different um, you're seeing a lot of stuff. I am working on what stuff you that makes sense to pick up, I guess. And also really trying to drive, you know, privacy and security best practices into those Mm -hmm. mental health apps, because there has been, you know, a bit of controversy over mental health apps recently, whenever we think about things like Cerebral, which came out during the COVID pandemic. It's one of the, you know, most popular mental health apps on the market. And they've been getting in trouble with the FTC and the DEA for their teleprescribing practices for things like the ADHD medication. Um, Uh, So tricky. Yeah, exactly. And we've also recently seen BetterHelp. Uh, They had an FTC investigation pretty recently for improperly sharing customers' sensitive data, their mental health data, with advertisers, right, like Facebook and Snapchat. Um, what? And so, Holy yeah, bananas. How can you screw up your, fun, your, I mean, your fundamental core purpose in life is confidentiality. 
It's crazy. And I will say it happens a lot more often than you think. Um, that's one of the biggest issues that we have right now when we think about mental health apps, whether they're directed at women or just the general population, right, right. is that um, a lot of them do have very sketchy and poor data privacy practices. And there was actually um, a study that was done by Mozilla, and they published uh, their study, I think they had one in 2022 and one in 2023. Okay. And it's called their Privacy Not Included Guide. And so they've analyzed 32 of the mental health apps um, and the prayer apps that are on the market. And they gave at least of 22 of them a privacy not included warning, which meant that they had some pretty significant. Whoa. Yeah, that would be, yeah, right. Yeah. So that's, that's something that we're really seeing um, in the mental health space right now and that consumers aren't necessarily aware of because there's this underlying assumption, right, that HIPAA is going to protect your, your healthcare privacy. And depending on how these apps are made, it actually may not. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I jumped to a conclusion right or wrong. Um, but that's just Silicon Valley, right? When it's the pollution, they just no, there is no line between privacy. I mean, it's how, it's how yeah. Google, it's how they got started was basically giving away free services to sell, to sell the information they received from you. I mean, it was an exchange. Yeah. Didn't always know it. Um, we didn't know until later the extent of it, but but certainly that's been the currency that we had to to get the. I mean, hey, Google yeah. and Gmail is free and it's a cool tool. Turns out that it wasn't free. Um, nice. So I think those same developers and that same sense of what's right and what's wrong and what's mine and what's yours and what mm -hmm. I can what I can sell what I can't comes from the same people building these solutions. Maybe there's a really beautiful founder who has a beautiful idea, right? And then yep. it's, you know, and then they have the idea. And then as soon as it gets into the, the back end of the tech side, we're like, well, that data's got like, that's a valuable, that's a valuable data set. It is. And that happens with so many of these apps. Even when we think about Femitech and these mental health apps, data is such a hot commodity right now that there's yeah. always this push to collect more of your data than an app doesn't need. And they're doing that, right? So they can compile it, they can sell it to advertisers, they can sell it to data brokers. And truly it's being done without any respect for how sensitive this health data is. And once it gets out, right, that can cause even more mental health issues, worrying about how your data has gotten out. <laughs> oh, absolutely. absolutely. Well, there is very few, uh, really, it seems very few super, super secure, safe yes. you know, places. I think buyer beware that, Pretty much anything you're doing on the internet is public. Yeah, that's how I treat it, um, especially with any apps that I'm using. Even if they claim they have, you know, an anonymous mode or they claim to have, you know, the latest and greatest security and privacy functions, there's always the chance that your data is going to get out, even if it's through a cyber attack, right? And and no fault necessarily of the app itself. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, even even at that point, it's still, it's sitting on a server somewhere. Exactly. It, it, that's exactly right. And, you know, and I think the good thing that we have to recognize, right, about mental health apps and, and femtech apps in general is that they have increased access to care. So they do, you know, oh, accessibility, yeah. right, getting getting there to see, you know, a, a therapist or a provider in person can be really challenging, right? especially if you're a woman who's working, has a child, right, has 
responsibilities as a domestic partner, it can be so challenging to find the time yeah. to actually go out of your house and go attend those sessions. So we've really seen mental health apps geared towards women enhancing accessibility for those services um, and also kind of destigmatizing to a certain extent the care that a lot of women don't prioritize for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, which which has been fantastic, but at the same time, right, we have these risks, um, and there's no really good way for consumers to kind of say, oh, yeah, this app is better than this app, which is better than this app, and kind of evaluate those privacy policies oh, yeah. and those practices. Yeah, you'll find that on the back end. Exactly. Well, and even if a company says in its privacy policy, it's not going to share data with yeah. Facebook or Snapchat, here we see, right, BetterHealth did it illegally anyway, or, you know, some of the femtech apps have gotten in trouble for doing it illegally. I'm surprised. I mean, I mean, BetterHelp, that's a surprise to me because they, I mean, they're such early movers, yeah. such a giant market share in COVID, such a good chance to consolidate all that into a good thing uh, exactly. and to take the cheap, to take the, uh, to take the, the cheap way out. Very stupid. But even, yeah. you know, and who knows, you're an attorney. I, I've been in these meetings. You know, it's like, well, if they do find out, it'll be like a $200 million fine. The right. data's got a billion point two value. They're uh, not worried uh, about the fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't really care about the fine. And exactly. People will, and people will forget it was us anyway. Somebody else will step right. in, the, in the dog poo tomorrow after us. So it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, I mean, and there's... You know, oh, there are apps that are making conscious that. efforts, you know, like um, like in the Mozilla study we we're talking about, you know, MoodFit and Calm, they've made some improvements in their privacy policies. But then you see the very, um, very well used ones like Headspace or Talkspace, not necessarily having the great privacy policies and privacy structures, but consumers are still using it. And so how much of that is we don't know as consumers versus this is the only way to get care that's not necessarily going to be as stigmatized as having to go in person uh, to a healthcare provider. I think that's a great question we still have to grapple with. I, I think that's the answer. I mean, I think you're, yeah. you're, you're right on. We don't, I, I think that the data that I saw says we have something less than 40% mm. of the therapists that we were supposed to have. Yes. And even the number, when I looked at that, you know, 40% of, of, the number of therapists seemed very low for yeah. the 40 seemed like, so we're, we're at a 40 percentile of what we're supposed to be. Even that number looks low to me. Yeah. So it would be, you know, probably it's more like 30 in reality. And in some places in counties and rural States, smaller States, I mean, I'm in Missouri. I promise you in Missouri out, even, <laughs> you know, you don't have, close to 30% of the adequacy mm -hmm. of number of therapists. And in some counties, there's probably no therapist. Exactly. I mean, so there's, there's an absolute, it, let it be the wild, wild west for a while. Uh, for me, it's like, mm -hmm. let it, you know, let nature take its course. Let the wild, wild <laughs> west happen in the digital space. We need anybody to have any, everybody to have a chance to talk to somebody. And, you know, if there's some side consequences for a while, while people do stupid things, you know, let, let, let the market work itself out. And, uh, but let's get some people some, some access. 
Yeah. And I think it really does show, right, the need to destigmatize and provide the access to the healthcare. Yeah. Because if you don't do that, it doesn't matter if necessarily that those apps are selling data, right? Because you're going to have a huge mental health crisis on your hands anyway, as you're saying, kind of kind of the balance of how that should shape out. Mm. And what we're also seeing um, is kind of employers now taking more yeah. what do you see? hands. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this solution. What are you mm-hmm. seeing? What are you seeing happening? Yeah, I'm seeing employers taking employee mental health more seriously um, and, and also trying to add in solutions into their healthcare packages that include free counseling, usually through telehealth, right? These digital health apps. So, yeah, it's okay. You know, something like that. But they are, you know, and they'll be confidential. You might get up to, you know, eight or 11 sessions that are being paid for so that you can talk to somebody confidentially. Now, that said, um, there was a Deloitte 2023, you know, women at work study that kind of found that women are actually not comfortable discussing mental health struggles at work, um, especially uh, whenever they're, you know, around their employers and that they aren't feeling supported by their employers in this area. Um, so there was actually a decrease um, since 2022 in the percentage of women who felt comfortable sharing their mental health difficulties. Um, so I think in 2022, the study had said there were like 43% of women felt comfortable sharing their mental health difficulties, um, whereas now the percentage is about down to 23%. So I, think I can't we'll, imagine 50% of the people are okay to talk about, yeah, I'm having, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in depression. 23% sounds, sounds. That sounds <laughs> way closer to the real number to me. Exactly. It's just um, not something you, I mean, first off, it never comes up. Right. Right. And if we can't talk about mental health and women's health in general, you know, out in the public, how are we going to be able to talk about a combined women's mental health issue with your employer, um, whenever there could potentially be stigma, right, or, you know, adverse consequences attached to that, even if those adverse consequences are illegal, there's still the potential, right, that there could be discrimination and and an environment that makes somebody uncomfortable. Oh, no, I mean, Susie just told me in finance, that she's depressed, and she's starting to thinking about taking medication. Mm. And, you know, we were talking about making her the CFO. We should think about that. Right. Like we can't be giving Susie the job. I mean, she's already, you know, barely handling life. Exactly. And then there's the perception, no. right? Well, she can't handle where her life where it's at right now. She she can't handle a promotion. I'm definitely not going on for sure. We got to exactly. we got to rethink that. She can't be we can't be promoting her to CFO. I need someone with a straight head on here. Come on, people. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what if she breaks down? What if she has, you know, right. a mental health attack? Those, uh, those are the kind of things. And so it's not at all surprising to me that women do not want to talk about you this. Are zip, you are not saying anything to anybody. Exactly. And then we just reinforce, right, that these these are things that should not be talked about in the public space. And therefore, right, these are things you, you need to kind of do in secret almost. And telehealth, I think, kind of gives you that ability to do that, you know, quote unquote, in secret without people finding out and gives you that accessibility. Yeah. I'm pretty sure everybody in the boardroom is absolutely a lunatic and is, if not on medication, should be on medication. If not in therapy, absolutely needs therapy a thousand percent. I can think of every boardroom of, and it's all in, and everybody's on the spectrum of some, yeah. some way, shape or form. And think uh, about how powerful it would be if they all said that, right? I, to their own employees, to those who, who work for them or some way involved in their company. I, I interviewed a gentleman not long ago and he has an app and it is corporate based. 
Mm. So it's designed to be used with employees and it's a self score system. Again, you know, yikes, you know, a little scary. Um, Anonymous, (laughs) anonymously by department. So uh, assuming you're in a big enough department to feel anonymized, um, you know, as you vote, it it talks about your mental health score. And Mm. he was kind of saying, you know, the KPIs could be to improve your mental health score in your team. Yeah. That would, and, I mean, can you imagine if we had things like that, how employees, how their own productivity could increase or enhance uh, significantly? We had a lot of, we had a really good conversation around this about just, you know, you would approach your meetings and your, your conversations with people way different if you knew part of your responsibility was to, to make sure that they were in the right place to take on work, you know, and which kind of, and if you could pressure like, you know, we got to hit this deadline. Can I squeeze you a little bit? Are you okay? You know, can we hit this deadline or not? Or do you need some time? And, you know, versus, and then being able to go back to a team and say, we're not going to hit the deadline. I got people freaking out. They're stressed out about life. Some life stuff's happening. I got some, we got mental health stuff going on. It's part of the equation. At least you know. Well, at least you know, and at least you're not pushing somebody towards burnout, right? Or to become depressed and anxious. Because I've worked with prior employers, um, and I take a very hard interest in how my, you know, colleagues and employees are doing from a Mm -hmm. mental health perspective, because I think that drives not only right the the bottom line, but also their happiness and their desire to stay long term. Um, But there were so many employers where somebody was having a hard time, right? And and you'd point it out to them and they'd be like, okay, great, but you still have to get your hours in today. Um, or I need you to take on this extra project and you, maybe you can take one mental health day, but that's it. And there wasn't an acknowledgement that we are human beings with actual things happening outside of work and also inside of work and that we have to have that balance. I mean, mm-hmm. even if we look at things like untreated maternal mental health conditions in the U.S., that costs the U.S. over $14 billion annually. And if we think about employers have the opportunities to help enhance employee well-being, think of all of the money and the bottom line and the productivity that could be enhanced. Yeah, I saw a stat that said it was a four-to-one spend to Mm -hmm. kind of a either bottom line or top line payback for a company, basically ROI. Yeah. You know, for every dollar you spend in the mental health space as an employer, you get four bucks back and just it's worthwhile. <laughs> I, and you, and you know, miss deadlines, mistakes, absenteeism. Yeah. And the biggest one is your health care. I mean, yes. most of mo- a, a lot of ailments, there's a lot of, f- met, there's a lot of physical health mm-hmm. disease that is directly related to mental health. Absolutely. I think we now we now it's kind of fat. So, you know, if you want to save money on your medical plan, have everybody require everybody to do one hour of therapy a year and just and see. Right. Like everybody's got to sit with somebody for a year. We don't stick. There's no stigma because everybody goes. Exactly. And, and that does more than an employer saying great, I'm going to gift you a year subscription of meditation, right, or calm or, you know, headspace or whatever app it is. 
because thank you, you have just gifted me something that now I have to go find time to actually sit down and do in my busy day. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're not lessening my workload for me to do that. You're not requiring people right to take an hour of, of mental health time a day and giving me that time. Yeah, maybe but, it's, but thank you for the app. <laughs> maybe it's a half day. I send you home a half, you know, you pick some day, yeah. you go home, a, you go home at a half day. And you spend an hour online, the comfort of your own home with the pride with, with a teletherapist. And it's a screening scoring. Basically it's a screening and scoring. We just want to know, you know, and for you, you can do it once, you know, every quarter or you can do it once, but it's mandatory once a year. Exactly. And I think that employers would see much higher satisfaction, happiness from their employees. Oh, I'd I'd, yeah. yeah. I'd love my, when I finish that, I'd be like, my boss is so like, that's so nice. I got a half day off. I just had to talk to somebody on, you know, on some shrink online for an hour. You know, you could totally dismiss it, even if you wanted to be the macho person. Exactly. Um, exactly right. And and instead, we have an environment where it is heavily stigmatized, heavily seen as taboo, and individuals don't feel comfortable getting the help that they need, even though all of the benefits can come from giving them help. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you that personally, um, I worked in big law when I first started my career. <laughs> there was no kind of mental health assistance, oh, right? Yeah. That was that was about you know. I think the point there is to health. see is to see is to give you so much mental health issues to see who can still survive through the end of it. Yeah, the I mean, lawyers, it's a whole lawyers different. Have, yeah, it's a whole different reason that they do that. Yeah, lawyers have the highest alcoholism and depression rates of of any <laughs> career out there, and that's the thing, right? I. I burned out. Um, you know, I a story I don't share with a lot of people, but in my first law career, I burned out to the yeah. point where I couldn't function. I couldn't read an email. Wow. Um, wow. you know, and it and it set me back six months. I had to take six months off, right? Oh. I had to kind of rehab, revamp. And and that was that all could have been prevented had employers actually prioritized mental health care. Just imagine the conversation around the water, you know, the water cooler talk, right? The luncheon <laughs> talk, which is you know, hey Ken, did you? I heard you did your hour yesterday with the shrinky girl. You know, yeah, yeah. How was it? Oh, I was pretty good. You know. <laughs> so imagine you turn it into kind of casual, funny talk, mm-hmm. and it's actually part of the conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, and I could maybe I end up saying, you know, hey, I actually found out I had something. You know, I'm going to talk to her again because. You know, I found there's some of these things I've been thinking about aren't really the great way to do it, and she had some ideas. You know, so I'm going to talk, I'm going to go, maybe, you know, I'm going to take a couple more, a couple more sessions. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And it doesn't mean there's anything, you know, quote unquote wrong with you. Right. But maybe you found stress reduction techniques. Yeah. Yeah. She's teaching me something. Yeah. 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 She gave me homework. She gave some homework on this, you know, some stuff I've got with my, my, with my mother-in-law. Like, you know, just, we don't get along and she had yep. some ideas and I'm exploring it. And she's got some pretty good ideas. Anyway, so I'm talking to her Thursday and then, you know, next guy's going to be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife and I are going to join too. Yeah. And then I before mean, you know it, it's like, well, I want to be in therapy. It changes the dialogue in, yeah, entirely. Yeah. yeah. Figuring out how to change the dialogue. Yeah. Really kind of fun. I, I love those kind of, I think work is really um, it's a place where you can break. I think we can attack this quite, yeah. quite effectively. I think home is very difficult to get through cultural stuff and yes. hierarchy stuff that happens at home. And I think work is a place where, where it can, it's, it's one, it's a financing place. It's a place where who yes. the employer makes money doing it. 
Exactly. So it's good business sense. You got one decision maker and many benefit people, people, many people that can benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I, th- I think that's where it has to be addressed. Um, yeah. And I think then it trickles down right into the different social circles, into the household. Um, but starting it kind of up there at the employer level and giving broad accessibility without stigma. I think that's where a lot of change will drive. Yeah, I think you have to change it. Is it's not, it's not an, it's not an option. I think there should be yes. some sort of score where it, it a place where it normalize the conversation. A hundred percent agree with that. Um, how about some, how about some closing thoughts? Some, some, you know, some pitch, some fem, fem, fem innovation, give us some, give us a pitch. How do people find you? Who can you help? Um, Absolutely. About your business. Yeah. So Fem Innovation is actually a platform that's looking to revolutionize women's health on four different fronts. You know, of course, as we've talked about, we provide the legal and business consulting services for founders. Uh, we also provide thought advocacy and thought leadership for politicians to really drive some of the legislative oh, action in this space. Great. Okay. We also we also want to help clinicians get involved with the tech founders to make sure that they are actually building devices and products that will be clinically useful rather than, you know, the device that has no clinician or medical oversight and is a little bit sketchy out there. So we, okay. we try to bridge that gap. And then we're focused on just general consumer education, kind of like the talk that we've had today, Ken, where we're just discussing what it means to break down these barriers mm-hmm. and these stigmas. And so for the general public who's really looking more about women's mental health or women's health care in general, uh, we provide a lot of that information, a lot of resources so that you can sort through the misinformation that's out there. Um, I think you have our website up. It's feminnovation.com. And I'm also very active on LinkedIn. Um, it's linkedin.com slash in slash Bethany Corbin. Mm. Bethany, so I'm, I'm so happy we got on. Um, Me too. I just, you know, it's like this is this podcast and and the other podcasts I do. Really, it's a jar, it's a box of chocolates. Uh, it really is, really such a great analogy because I just never know. Right? <laughs> we, and as we as we talk, this is a really light touch for me. Um, so I just do a I just do a quick because I couldn't find you on LinkedIn when I searched you. I knew sure. I knew I figured we had come through. Um, pod match and I didn't, did, have time yeah. to, I didn't have time to go back and check you're there yeah. so um so I got on I got on as I usually am ignorant and uh <laughs> but curious so was, at least at least yeah. uh, I might not know what's going on but I'm curious to find out and uh it's great to hear what you're doing and man we've got a lot of alignment uh yeah. on you know what we're doing and, and so I think there's a good conversation for us to have afterwards about um about you know maybe some other guests you might have ideas for and in areas I should be paying attention to and then I'll keep my I'll keep my uh, get my brain wheeling for you and see what kind of clients I can think of oh thank you Ken yeah I agree I think that there are some fantastic companies in the women's mental health space and just mental health space in general that that would be good for your show yeah I'd be love to and give them a, and give yeah. them a platform and a good a good a good marketing piece. Bethany, again, thanks so much. Thanks everybody for uh, following this show. Also check out the jar podcast. It's on all your street on all your regular podcasting channels. Uh, That's a lot. That's a recorded show. I do face to face. uh, And that's uh, what this making the jar is all about. Bethany, don't go away. I'll see you on the other side. Thanks. Yeah. Loose baby. But we're about to go and make this vessel with these 
great professionals in public glass. We're not part of the community, but we're from the outer family of glass blowing. Yeah, we're gonna go make a magical giant jar with optic lenses so that if you turn it, it changes all the time. So if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change.